Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom fighting a little bit of a cold and almost didn't make the open here. I'm visiting in studio here with uh, Bob Broshide, Director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and he's been kind enough to join us for the first hour of the show. Although we're going to cover a lot of things later on in the show, too. We've got uh, fly fishing author Steve Schweitzer joining us in the second hour. Nate Zelensky will come on, and I think uh, he's going to talk a little, a lot of fishing and a little bit of hunting. And we're going to get a report from Lake John, from Bill Wilcox, who used to run the Lake John store. He's up there lounging now, but he's been out on the water, so we'll get an update from him. And, of course, Colorado Clays will join us. We're going to talk some shooting. You know, pheasant season is right around the corner. In fact, I think I have to check the schedule, but I think Ed Gorman from Parks and Wildlife is going to join us next week and give us an update. And, first of all, good morning, Bob. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Terry. Thanks a lot. It's glad to be here. You know, speaking of Ed Gorman, by the way, since he's one of your employees, I'll give him a little bit of a a plug here right now. He is such a wealth of knowledge. He comes on once or twice a year and updates on the Upland game out east. And the information I get from him is just phenomenal. And he kind of hinted, and we don't know yet, you know, the Dakotas are having a terrible pheasant year. And people aren't even going up there. But he thinks we're going to have a banner year here, us in Nebraska. So some of the best bird hunting is going to be right here at home this year. Absolutely. I heard the same thing too, Terry. And and I'm looking forward to getting out there as soon as I can. I think I'm going to get to the second weekend of opening, but Ed is the guy. Oh, he is. You know, speaking of you getting out there, um, one of the things, gosh, how long is it? How long have you been director now? Just over four years. Now. I know. And I, I, I didn't seem like four, but you've been a regular on the show virtually since you started. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that whether it's positive or challenges facing parks and wildlife, you've come on and been open and talked about it and we get the message out to the public. So first of all, thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. But then we'll talk about you going pheasant hunting. I think you just finished a, uh, a little elk hunt, didn't you? I did. Uh, I picked up one of those uh, leftover licenses and, and hunted the Rhone Plateau, you know, first rifle season and uh, had some buddies go with me. It was a really great time. And uh, people are astonished that I tell them this is the first bull elk I've ever harvested. And I've been hunting elk in my previous state in Arizona, and I've tried here the last two years. And you know what? It's, uh, it was a really successful hunt all around that, you know, this, we were hunting public land. We had first rifle season. We, it, was, it was warm. It was dry and dusty and uh, cool, you know, cool at night and mornings. And uh, uh, third day, uh, one little, yeah, he's a little five by six. He wasn't anything, you know, trophy quality, but, uh, that was the first bull elk I've ever taken. And, uh, it just, uh, everything just kind of worked out. And most of the times it doesn't. Um, but, uh, you know, we were out there with a lot of hunters that were in the field. We got to chat with those guys a little bit. And, uh, of course I, I kind of go undercover. I don't yeah. like to tell them, uh, yeah. You know, I'm a director. That brings a whole different kind of uh, conversations and things. But uh, just talk to them hunter to hunter. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that you and I have become really good friends over the years you've been director. And the thing we share is a passion for the outdoors. And it comes when I hear you talk about your hunting trip or that you're going pheasant hunting, you know, or you're going fishing somewhere. 
Um, and so you understand the emotions that I go through as I'll go through as an outdoor enthusiast. So that makes it easier for you to identify with what the public wants and needs. Not at times the position you're in and similar positions have been very political and they've been political animals looking for a political career. I got the feeling you would stay on the hunting and fishing end of this for the rest of your life if that was possible. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this, these days, when you can go out in the field, you know, it's that rejuvenation. It's, it, and for, this is true for all my folks that work and, and across the country is you, you work so hard and you deal with a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, static on what, what we do and how we do it and when we do it. And to actually go out in the field and be, you know, a, a consumer or a customer and get out there. And to me, the elk was great. It's food. It's going to be in my freezer. I'm going to pick it up on Wednesday. That, to me, is the satisfying part. But the other is is that you're out there, and you're out there seeing and, and participating with your good buddies oh. and friends. You and I had a talk coming up the elevator about, um, and I get guilty of it too, or a fishing or a hunting trip, start getting judged by what we harvested rather than the experience. And I remember my days back at deer camp or moose hunting up in Canada with my uncles and my dad or the fishing trips I've taken where we weren't so successful and all the little memories with family and friends you create over the years and the experience in the outdoors. And that's what we've got to get people back to is appreciating what we have. And that kind of brings us to some issues we've got to talk about. Now, first of all, last week I did a very positive story where Parks and Wildlife actually made a trade. They took they had a wildlife area in Montrose that wasn't very wild anymore. A mall had built up right next to it and things. And they said, well, it doesn't really fit our criteria, but we don't want to lose this access. So they were able to cut a deal to trade that wildlife area for access to a reservoir that Montrose owned up in the mountains a little bit away. And not only did we save the access on the Ancapadre River through Montrose, but we gained a lake and several acres of hunting land now, we were fortunate to make that deal happen, but you were hunting on public land. You had a leftover license, so the hunt you had would have been available, not because you're a director, but to anybody out there could have easily got that same hunt. And we've got miles and miles of rivers in Colorado that give us access. We've got a number of reservoirs. I wish we had a few more. Mm-hmm. In fact, we may lose some of those just because of economics and development. But if we don't get some changes... And some of the funding that's going on out there, the number one thing we're looking at losing is access to these resources. Mm-hmm. Well, it, that's absolutely my number one goal is access. And this is coming from survey after survey, Terry, that we, we talk about. We asked hunters and anglers, what, why, how, and how can we get you outside and why aren't you? And the number one response is access. And it isn't just access to some wilderness lake where you hike up into. Obviously, avid outdoor people, we enjoy some of that. The little girl that lives next door to me, she's not so little anymore, but she had two bouts with leukemia, and I got her into tying flies. And she goes to the city parks around town and catches fish. So access to her, her dad took her up to Joe Wright a while ago, and they caught a bunch of grayling. That's still by the road. She can't hike up there. So access to her and her family, so access is different to different people. But, you know, if you want, you're right, the best way to get people out is make it available. Yes. 
Yes. And we have tons of good programs. I mean, we're going to talk pheasant hunting later on in the show, but the walk-in access program. What a mm-hmm. tremendous program for Parks and Wildlife. Yes. And very simple concept, really. It's just working with private landowners. And like you said, you know, our biggest challenge that, that we see coming, in fact, we've already seen it. We've seen Lone Tree Reservoir. You know, we've lost that lease. This, that's going to be commonplace as the urban areas start to grow. More people, non-angling folks, would say it was a traditional angling lake. Now we've got people who like to bike and walk their dogs and, and hike around or maybe take photographs. And what you're seeing is now duck hunting, goose hunting disappearing. You're seeing the the access for fishing and for watercraft out there to do those activities. It all starts to fade away. For the folks who've been here for, I'd say, probably the last 10 years, where how how much access have, have we lost? I think we're losing thousands of acres a month just in urban development. This is going to this doesn't make the wildlife issues go away. It makes it worse. Oh, you're absolutely right. Let's talk about some of the challenges and I know later on in the show I want to talk about a bill you tried to get through the legislature and funding overall. But there's some unique issues too and I think one that is on every angler's mind right now is the ANS issue. The and the uh, aquatic nuisance species or invasive species. Every state uses a different acronym. I can't right, keep up. Of course, <laughs> but those are mostly the mussels or some snails, some other things that are that are coming in. We had a scare a few years ago where Pueblo tested positive, and so inspections were implemented, and we needed to find ways of money to get that, and. Pueblo is a great success story because it's the only lake that's ever become negative after it was positive. Then we had, um, uh, n- we lost the funding, the basic funding for the NS, and I'll let you address that in just a minute. And then now we have another scare at Green Mountain Reservoir. I think anglers are on the edge because you mentioned Lone Tree. Mm-hmm. Lone Tree isn't, you know, obviously it was a money issue because developers were able to pay a lot of money for access to that. But it's also the water providers being afraid of nuisance species causing them issues. So that sways. You can't hardly match the money and be an equal. So where is that whole process at? Take me through where we're at with ANS and what you see. What happened and what are we looking mm-hmm. at? And, and briefly, you hit on the history of that. Uh, you know, that funding, the we call aquatic nuisance species. Anybody who's taken a watercraft to any of these lakes knows. You go through the inspection stations. We're basically in a, in a prevent mode. We, we know we're, we were a negative state. Our biggest threat was out of state. So we really ramped up to make sure that folks that were coming uh, from any other state, particularly in, in here in the Four Corners, that they weren't carrying live muscles on. And so we do those inspections. But um, we did uh, that funding for that program was what we call their Species Conservation Trust Fund. What this was was severance tax from extractive industries that comes back to the states and pays for a whole bunch of things. This is primarily oil and gas. Well, we got a small percentage of that funding, and we started a program, a little over $5 million that we were spending to, to ensure that we stayed ANS-free. Um, a couple years ago, there was a court case, a uh, long, long drawn-out battle in the courts, and what, uh, what that basically resulted in was less severance tax coming to the state, therefore to Parks and Wildlife. So that sent us scrambling because, as you very much hit on uh, accurately, was that w- 
we only own and operate seven reservoirs in this entire state, parks and wildlife. The rest are water providers. This is Denver, Aurora, all those other folks that, that are managing water for municipal or agricultural use. Recreation is, is a distant secondary to what their mission is. And we've worked out a lot of agreements um, to allow access where we can do law enforcement, we can stock full of fish, to build boat ramps, et cetera. So when that funding disappeared, the water providers, rightly so, got very, very nervous that now who's watching the hen house? If, if, a, if an infested boat drops in to one of these basically negative lakes, um, Pueblo, we have no idea where that, that villager, the villagers are the babies. They're basically larvae. They're not, they don't look anything like the adults, but that, uh, that caused us then to do a con- go into contaminate, uh, uh, prevention and contain mode. That means lakes coming in and lakes going out. We're now going to expect, inspect all of those boats. Green Mountain Reservoir came uh, a couple months ago, was hit positive again, just like Pueblo for those villagers. So now we're in contain mode. But if you think about Green Mountain Reservoir, just outside of Kremlin, leads into the Colorado River. And now that is probably one of the worst places that you could, you could have mussels is in the upper watershed of the Colorado and certainly the lower Colorado around California, Arizona, that is infested completely from Lake Powell down. Right. So that's, this is something that I, you know, to reiterate, Terry, and you hit on it is that this, this is an access issue for our fishermen and for our uh, watercraft users and, and folks who like to go out and recreate using watercraft. This isn't, these lakes that, that these water providers now are, are looking at what their goal is and their goal and their mission is to provide water. And there's a lot of infrastructure that gets infested. So we've been working with them well for the past two years to try to come up with a funding source that, that separates us from severance tax. It's a very volatile fund. Anybody who's in that industry understands you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. We need something that's a little more stable because we can't have lakes on and off. I tell you what, I want to continue that in just a minute. When we come back, we're going to take a short time out. I know that people need to first understand, though, that um, Parks and Wildlife gets very little money from the general fund, and there's a different funding model. We'll get into that more later in the hour, but I think specifically when we come back about ANS, I want you to kind of tell us what's going on to try to remedy this and what you think the prognosis is. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. And by the way, next week on the 28th, Saturday, Sun is going to be doing a blood drive for Bonfies. They're doing a chili cook-off at the Harley-Davidson place, and, oh, some good chilies will show up. And they're going to do a trick-or-treating for the kids. So check it out on their website. They'll come on the air with me next Saturday morning. We'll talk about all those activities. But mark your calendar now. Now I want to get back. We've got, um, we're very fortunate to have the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Bob Broscheid, in studio with us. And, Bob, when we went to break, we had talked about what had happened to the ANS. Now there was some emergency funding that came up 
last year that got us through. I think that might even extend partially into this year. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that it doesn't do, it didn't do, it didn't fill the entire need. So we lost hours of access. Places like Bar Lake weren't open every day. Mm -hmm. We had some lakes that just didn't get open because there wasn't enough inspectors and enough money. So we saw a reduction in access again. This is an issue that we need a permanent solution to if we're going to have access to our boat. And this isn't just fishermen. This is water skiers and jet skiers and anybody who has access to our lakes. So where are we now and what does the future look like? Mm -hmm. No, you hit it right in the head, Terry. Um, the, you know, the legislature, thankfully, you know, did a, uh, a last-minute change in the budget and allowed us to continue to, to do certain inspections of that program. The other part of that was we raised over a million dollars from from partners, uh, Northern Water, Denver Water, others gave us direct ca cash contributions to help, uh, and we really, really appreciate all of that help. But like you said, we had to make we had to make uh, decisions about priorities. Where where was the biggest threat, and what that led to was yeah, boat ramps were not open seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. Um, so we had to make some tough decisions about where that, that those basically finite and, and smaller resources went. Um, so this has been on the, the minds of a lot of legislators. Um, they're very, very concerned about this. And uh, so we've been working, well, last session with our, our legislation uh, for a fee bill, we had a, a, a portion in there that talked about long-term funding. And uh, they are talking about it this year. In fact, we've had already had several committee meetings where this issue has been discussed, and, and I anticipate a bill coming out here from the legislature to, to address this. And essentially, we've got to look. We're You hinted it before the last break about we're a user-pay, user-benefit model. Uh, no tax dollars. We get about $100,000 of, of general fund tax dollars. So... In our history, a very successful history of recreation and wildlife and fish conservation, we we started to craft up what that let the users contribute to this program because they will benefit from that. Like you said, it's direct access. So I suspect there's going to be some version of a registration component on your watercraft or a ANS sort of sticker that we can. This isn't just to to tax people. This is a way for us to track people. My, my belief is that, you know, if, if Colorado is a negative state and you're an in-state resident and you, you never take your boat outside the, the state lines and go into these other reservoirs, well, how much of a threat are you then? Uh, versus somebody who's coming from Arizona houseboat uh, off of Lake Powell. Those are the, the interdiction side that we have got to be able to ramp up and protect the borders here for people coming in. But also, how can we make it easier for people in state? I've seen those lines. Those lines are very long, but they're for a good reason. And so I suspect that's probably going to be some version of that is going to come out of, of this session of the legislature. Well, I think the number one thing that the users, the recreators, have to remember, and whether they're fishermen, which obviously we have a huge component of them that listen to the show. But if you're a wakeboarder, those wakeboard boats with a big ballast in them, if you're a water ski boat, if you're a jet skier, any recreation that touches the water, it's going to affect you. And you also have to understand that you're very low on the priority list when most of the water you alluded to it earlier is owned by the water providers. Mm -hmm. And their main goal is the economics of providing water. Mm -hmm. 
And if they um, if they see that this could cause issues and and it can cause millions of dollars of, of issues for them, um, their their voice is going to be louder than ours, at least in the beginning. And they own the water. They don't need legislation to say, you can't come here anymore. So we need to partner with them. We need to understand what, what's affecting them. Or we're going to lose what you and I started out this program today. Number one thing is access. Mm-hmm. So I get the impression from you that you feel that we hopefully will have something moving forward, but we're still not sure what that's going to look like. Right. No, absolutely, Terry. That's... <laughs> Working with the water providers, and, and honestly, they have been fantastic. Fantastic. But at the end of the day, like you said, it doesn't require legislation to shut down access to that. Well, basically, these are agreements and, and handshake agreements in some cases that we'll, we'll manage the, the boat ramps and we'll do the law enforcement. Uh, we'll check licenses and those types of things. But in the blink of an eye, it, it can disappear in the, in the economic impact that will have not just on the voters and the anglers, but to this state is is exorbitant. Well, and I think the 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 model in North America for sportsmen has always been a user pay, and not only do we pay for us, but we pay for the bird watchers, and we pay for the the water skiers, and we we pay for the hikers and the bikers because it's license fees that typically drive these agencies, and some user fees at the parks and things right. which everybody pays. Which, but, you know, we may have to get bigger involvement with other people. And I think the solution to the ANS is going to have to include a bigger involvement from all the water users. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everybody's a little on edge. Nobody wants to pay some big exorbitant fee or be only able to go to one or two lakes where they have private access or maybe not any. We also have new reservoirs coming online. We have two up north that will be coming online. One has been approved for recreation and the other wasn't. And I'm not sure what went on there. I think some things were kept low profile until it was done. And I think that, and I'm not going to blame or accuse anybody, but it's it's really almost in a water provider's interest to not have access to the public because they, and you know, obviously we end up paying them. Oh, the division leases that access. Mm-hmm. They make money, but if they don't think that money could offset future costs, they're not going to be interested. Right. And so I think, you know, this is interesting. So you said we're going to get to a break here in a few minutes. But first of all, what I'm getting from you, though, is last year we went with a total funding package to the legislature and it didn't make it through for various reasons. We'll talk about those a little later in the show. But the prop, the the future is what we have to look to. But it looks like it's the ANS is going to be addressed as a separate issue this time. Is that what you're saying? It sounds like it. It sounds like it. I mean, there's certainly strategies with. All, all in one or separate them out, but uh, certainly the legislature has the ability to do bills anytime they want to. And so hopefully we'll see a solution. Do we have funding going into 2018 to re- remain most of the access if a bill isn't passed soon? We do, to, to just about July 1, the new fiscal year. So so really we need to see something come out to July 1 or we could lose a lot, a lot of access. Well, you're right. And, and the other part of that too, Terry, is now I, now I and my commission need to make a decision. You know, do we need shift resources, say, from hatcheries to managing uh, this aquatic uh, invasive species program or some other fund source that we'll have to stop doing what we're doing to pay for this program? Like I said, access is number one on our customers. So those are the tough decisions we'll have to make. If, if nothing happens. Well, and, and we're hopeful that something will get there, that people will um, step up. I think 
Um, we're going to talk about this a little later in the show. I want to talk the couple of things I want to address. I want to address the general funding for Parks and Wildlife, where we're at overall. And I think we could take the whole next segment and really get into that. But then I want to take the last segment you're going to be with us this hour. And what's your message to the outdoor public? What do we need to do? How do we need to step up? The ANS is a symptom. It's not the problem. I mean, it's the, the fact that we have um, this issue is a symptom of the entire funding process. And other things are going to come up. Anybody who thinks that the ANS is the last roadblock that's going to get in the way, there's so many anti-hunting, anti-outdoor groups out there, pro-development groups out there. Um, the hunting and fishing is a huge resource in this state. I think you said it's $39 billion of economic activity in Colorado alone, but we're splintered. And I want to address that before we get done, too, because just have the Mule Deer Federation have one agenda and Ducks Unlimited have another and the Muskie Club have another isn't going to work anymore. We all have to start pulling together, and I'm going to be very adamant about that in the months to come, that we've got to get a message to the legislature. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, Color United America's premier outfitter. I was going to say Colorado, but they're premium here, but they're they're premier everywhere. Six locations in Colorado. We're in studio with um, Director of Parks and Wildlife, Bob Broshide. And Bob, we were talking specifically about the ANS legislation, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, we don't we're going to run out of time here before we even get started. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, last year, uh, a funding bill was proposed. Um, obviously, there are there are funding and budget issues at Parks and Wildlife. Part of it, we haven't had an increase in fishing license, I think, since two thousand five or mm-hmm. six. Five. And and it's so it's, and there has been a little inflation since then. Things have gone up in price, and there's issues that come up. And I think a lot of people don't understand where the funding comes from, first of all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they think, well, don't you get all this GOCO money? And don't and doesn't the legislature give you all kinds of money to work with? We touched on that. And that's not the case. Uh, the other thing is, I think the hunters and anglers are keenly aware when a budget issue affects their recreation. I'm not so sure that some of the stakeholders who don't realize they're stakeholders, the the bird watchers and the hikers who like to go watching wildlife and the people who take that bike path or that snowmobile trail or that that groomed uh, cross-country skiing trail and those things throughout there, that all these budget issues are going to affect them. So I guess the Reader's Digest of where are we at budget-wise and then where are we headed a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I, people ask me all the time, you know, being a state agency, they, they, they do, they, they assume that, you know, we get tax dollars. My, uh, you should see the number of emails I get as I cannot believe you're wasting my tax dollars on this. Well, basically, unless you buy a hunting and fishing license or a park pass or, or, uh, reservations at a campground or, or register your boat or buy a lottery ticket, you're not contributing to outdoor recreation and fish and wildlife conservation. We get the only tax fund dollars we get was a bill that was passed a couple years back about free admission for veterans to our state parks in the month. Well, it was at the time it was November on Veterans Day, but they've expanded that into September. 
And what the legislature said is we understand your budget situation. It, for every free pass you give a veteran into the park, we will reimburse you. That's it. We've been using about $60,000. That's, that's really nothing. And then the other is that budget-wise, we as an, we're called an enterprise agency. It's a, it's a designation in statute that says basically we can make our own money and then we spend our own money, no more, no less. Budget-wise, we will manage and have managed within budget. The other misconceptions, and we saw a lot of this, some little bit in the legislature, but mostly in the public was, well, you guys overspent or you're overspending and in, 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 overextending yourselves. That's impossible. That's impossible. Budgets are budgets, just like your house budget. If you come into Do you a, hear that, Karen? <laughs> <laughs> it's a plan. We have to, to generate revenue and the expenditures follow. And the budget is just a plan. Um, if, if you are, are not bringing in enough money in your household income, you cut. You cut those things that you maybe don't need to do or, or hopefully no worse than that. But that's essentially us. That, that's how, how our system works. Now, what we're, you, you talked about it. Our licenses fees are set at, at 2005 was the last increase. And this is how, how wildlife agencies and state park agencies have, have worked is costs go up. For your listeners out there who have a business, they understand this fully. Health insurance, um, we have, you know, gas has been luckily low lately, but it's been going up. Insurance goes up. We, we succumb to all of those, those increases as well. We call it uh, CPI or consumer price index or inflation. The things we cannot control that our cost, uh, the dollar is going less and less and less. So here's your, here's your opportunity to fix that. You either raise more money or you cut the spending. Well, we've been in a cutting spending mode since well before 2005. We've been been eliminating programs as we go. And some would say it's fat and some would say it's muscle or they're really good programs. And, and But we've had to, to really start, start winding down. And when we started this conversation about where our budget is and where our finances are, we're not at any cliff. We will manage within our budget. What's going to happen is, is the user pay, the users out there are not going to get as much for their money that they did a year previously. And so that this is kind of where we've been projecting out with a lot of needs that we've got, a lot of desires by our public access being number one. Where do we go and how can we fix it? I, I'm, I'm seeing other symptoms too. Um, because you've had to cut budgets, and because you haven't had enough money to maintain all programs, there's been things that probably should have been addressed that had to have been cut, uh, things like dams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's new government regulations on all these little earthen dams. Yep. People, if you've driven around the state and saw how many of these ponds are drawn down waiting for dam work, some of those are responsibility of the water providers. Some are municipal responsibilities. I think a number of those are parks and wildlife mm-hmm. responsibilities, and you get mo- you need money to repair those. Now, I don't know. Maybe you can get some money for GOCO from that. Maybe you can explain that to the listeners a little bit. But if you can't, the money to fix those dams, either you dry that pond up and it's no longer a fishing or wildlife access, or 
you have to cut something else to fix it. Mm-hmm. No, you're exactly right. Back in the day, and this isn't anything just specific to Colorado. This is what states did was back at the turn of the federal excise tax, or we call it Dingle Johnson Act. This is the the, the tax that's on uh, fishing equipment, and then the Pitt and Robertson Act is what's the tax on hunting equipment. This the, the states went around and bought land and built dams because this is what created reservoirs, fishing, boating, uh, recreation. It was really uh, providing the access to those resources that the public wanted and is paying for. So those dams, though, oh, back in the 60s, 50s, 40s, and even some in the 30s, as you said, not just the wear and tear on those dams, but regulations have gone up. We, we've gotten a lot smarter about... Hundred-year floods that seem to happen every like forty years now, yeah, and they're and they're a lot more intense. And we saw that here in 2013 too, with the amount of rain that can come. So, significant investment, not just in the resource and the recreational opportunity, but a lot of these dams as we grow in the urban uh, urban sprawl and, and and development. Now we're talking about high-risk dams for property and life loss. And so this has become a real priority for us, a very expensive priority. Now, do you get any, the, the GOCO money, that's pretty restricted on how you can spend it, mm-hmm. isn't it? Well, it's, uh, it's I believe it's broad. Um, some interpret it as being very strict, but the, that's a great point and it was, that you've made. And it's, it's going back to my previous one is that we're talking with GOCO, who's essentially the fiduciary, the manager of of significant amount of money that comes to parks and wildlife for those purposes. Uh, we're talking to them about, can we, and are they on board with us using money for these kinds of programs? And it, with the overall goal and, and strategy of taking care of what we've got before we start building stuff, new stuff um, down the road. So we are talking with those folks. We're always looking at ways that we can stretch this money to make it go go farther and that the users are getting the benefit. We're going to have to take a break and go to our last segment, and it's flown by way too fast. You and I have about two hours more stuff to cover. When we come back, we know that we need need some funding. Something has to happen or programs will be cut. So when we come back, maybe uh, you can take us up to speed on what it looks like going into the legislature right now, and then let's talk about what the outdoor public needs to do to help support and maintain our outdoor resources. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Priced like it should be. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. By the way, they're a Colorado company right over by Tower Road. Um, I asked him one time, I said, why did you build a smoked salmon company here? He goes, well, this is the end of the rivers. Isn't this where the salmon come? And anyway, he was kidding, but they're really great. If you haven't tasted honey smoked salmon, buy a package. You'll buy more. Hey, we're in studio. Um, this is our last segment with Director Bob Brochai. Bob, it just uh, flew by so far. It does. Every time. I have so many notes about what I wanted to talk about. But let's, you know, I think we've kind of at least set the stage that Access and the availability of resources to enjoy the outdoors are at risk if we don't get proper funding. And the costs of doing all that, maintaining what we have, putting programs out there. The second reason people don't go outdoors is because they need some know-how. And Parks and Wildlife does a lot of programs to teach people and give them information. All these things are threatened. 
And it's not only the hunter and fisherman that are going to be threatened. It's the recreational boater, the bird watcher, everybody else. Um, habitat. We talked about um, CRP. If the CRP farm bill that's in Congress right now doesn't get properly passed, uh, people who go bird watching out in the eastern plains are going to lose that access, the walk-in access program. So there's so much at stake here. Um, kind of give us your feeling of where we're at if we don't get funding and what are the chances that we're going to get some new funding bills soon. Yeah, we're, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball, you know, for for the legislative session. And, and you know, we're gearing up to, to run maybe a slightly different version this year. Um, we still got some some T's to cross and I's to dot on, on that legislation. But, um, you know, you know well, Terry, and I know some of your listeners do, is we only exist because people choose to recreate. I mean, that that that's what really what it boils down to. And, and they're willing to pay to do so. And if if we cannot continue to keep up, we're, we're going to cut programs and we're going to cut programs. And, and well, then on, it becomes uh, a self-fulfilling. Exactly. Uh, if you have to cut programs, less people recreate, less money comes That's in. Right. It's, it, it spirals down. It does. And, and I'll tell you, uh, particularly for the hunters and anglers in this country, in North America, have a very proud history and, and can hold their heads up absolutely high about the restoration of Canada geese and white-tailed deer and turkeys, uh, cutthroat trout, endangered species, habitat, access, on and on and on, that, it, that I think it's led us all, even wildlife agencies, has led us into an area of complacency of, of well, you know, we're, we're the only one out there paying. That's not true anymore. And it certainly is not going to be the future here that my message to, to hunters and my you know, neighbors down the street who say, what can I do? And I, keep, I tell them, I said, Fawn, you've got to realize that it is no longer good enough to just buy a hunting and fishing license or a park pass. You have got to get engaged in a way that you never have before. Don't rely on Terry Wickstrom to carry your water for you or Ducks Unlimited or the Mule Deer Foundation. You have got to be engaged. And this is what, what gears up for the legislative session was there were a lot of people who do partake in these activities who were against it. And legislators here, they want to hear from their constituents. They are not hearing from the hunters and the anglers. And that's in a way that they have before. And so my plea to them is educate yourself on, on the issues. Get engaged because you can't rely on somebody else to do carry your water for you or carry your message for you. You mentioned it before. There are a lot of, of, of groups that have specific issues and concerns. There, we have got to come together as a community, as an outdoor recreation community, big tent kind of stuff here, that we're all speaking in the same voice. And get engaged I, I cannot plea any more than that. Well, you and I were talking off the air, and I made a comment that if nobody is 100% happy with it, it's probably a good compromise. And I, I, a lot of the affinity groups, I give them time on this radio show, whether they're Ducks Unlimited or Trout Unlimited or the Elk Foundation or Muskies, Inc., the Walleye Club, the Bass Clubs, because I think they're important important uh, components of the outdoor industry and they help people get started and get them out and they're they're hugely important they also each have a little different agenda 
and they're looking at a bill. And I can tell you after the last bill, I got comments from numbers of these groups. Well, it didn't really address this part of what I wanted, and it didn't address this, and it allowed them to do this. And I said, guys, that's fine, but remember, no bill is going to be worse than one that doesn't address every issue. And, and I think they got a little caught up in their own agendas. And there's two messages I want to give to the sportsmen and the non-sportsmen. Maybe I have three, I guess. It'll be four by the time I'm done. So, <laughs> but um, number one is I want all the groups, like you said, to come together. I mean, I love it when I see all these conservation movements and the green movement. I say, welcome aboard. Because the reason we have millions of acres of clean water and forest is because of the hunters and fishermen who have lobbied for it and worked for it for over a century. And we've been the original green movement. And that habitat, maintaining that habitat, whether you hunt fish or not, is so important to all our lifestyles. If you just go bird watching for a walk in the country, a walk out in the field, if you go cross-country skiing and love to see a snow owl, if you're, if you're out there and you, you see the tracks of a wolf or a mountain lion and you probably don't see that animal, but they're there because the habitat exists, you get that experience because of hunting and fishing dollars. So I think it's incumbent on every outdoor recreational enthusiast to talk to their neighbors while you're having a beer or a cup of coffee and say, this is really important. It's not even going to cost you, in the initial at least, that I'm going to have to pay more. But if we don't get this passed, it, those are going to go away for you and me both. And I think the other side of it is um, they've got, like you said, they've got to make their voices known, but as a unified voice. We're a $39 billion economic impact, yet legislators don't feel political consequences anymore for voting against the outdoors. Because we've splintered. We've splintered. There was a time when they responded because it was such a huge voting block. Now we're single-issue voters split on other issues. And uh, you've got to start assessing your priorities. And you've got to really step up. Every one of you needs to write or email your congressman. It's so easy right now. And every one of you needs to talk to your neighbors. And we have to have a unified voice. Bob, we've got about two minutes. Your last comments. I couldn't agree more. It, you know, in, in working real close with our legislators, it, it, you know, I get painted with this too. It's really, it's really easy to assume that I'm not listening or our commission isn't listening or my staff isn't listening. Well, legislators get put in that boat too. Believe me, they, they do listen. They just need to hear from you. But just I think the take-home message here is, is – for you hunters and anglers and recreationists out there, it, it, it's no longer good enough. You, you can't call yourself anymore the conservationist by just buying a hunting and fishing license and showing up for the hunt, and then we never hear from you. There are threats all over the place, and some are malicious. Um, there are folks that are very well-funded, very political, that want to do away with everything that you do. And... And trust me, I used to roll my eyes and say, ah, they'll never get it together. There are ballot initiatives that are going on in other states right now. There are things that that I hold near and dear that if what I did last weekend on my elk hunt with my buddies, if somebody took that away from me, I'd be crushed. And I know I know a lot of your listeners and you too, Terry, that that would be like like the worst thing that could happen. So how do you combat that? Well, it's not just writing an email or, or, or expecting somebody else to do it. We need you, and we need you now more than ever. Is there a resource on the website that can help people or guide them? 
Absolutely. Uh, we try to use our website to try to keep that as engaged uh, in people engaged about what's going on. But boy, you, you can go to just about any conservation organization and, and get on their websites, you know, find out what they do, become a member at least, and, and be part of that next, uh, that next generation. And the simplest thing you can do, take a kid or your neighbor hunting and fishing. Oh, I get, of course, the kids in my neighborhood get some of the best fishing gear in the world because my sponsors sure. send it. A lot of them are better equipped than guys on the bass tour. Sure. But I'm... we try to donate a lot of that stuff. You know, somebody sent me an email not too long ago. We're running over time, but it's just Nate Zielinski will make it up. But um, getting a kid started fishing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's programs that could go away if we don't get funded. Absolutely. Um, take a kid out fishing or give them a fishing pole and let them go to the local parks. But your friends go bird watching, whatever it is. But the main thing, folks, is be educated and be involved. And the outdoors is going to give you returns you can get on no other investment. I firmly believe that. That's been my mantra for my entire life. Bob, the last thing I have for you, and we got to, we've really got to go though, is that hopefully we're going to see legislation move forward within the next few months. And can you keep us posted? And then we'll call on you to come in as this thing moves forward. Absolutely, Terry. Yeah, I thank you for being here, for being open, for being addressed, and thanks for being a hunting friend that we can talk hunting and outdoors. Always my pleasure. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Salmon's Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire.